Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Well, while you're sitting down, feel free to turn to the book of Revelation. That's where we have been as a community. And we are in Revelation chapter 3, and we're in our third sermon in this series. And so when you look at the book of Revelation, you're really looking at a particular word. Uh, the word revelation in Greek is the word apokalyptos. It's where we get the idea of apocalypse. But the word is rooted in the idea of making something seen that was unseen. And so if I were in front of you right now and I had some kind of award, or if I had a car and I had a big sheet over it, and then I pulled it up and I revealed it to you where you had never seen it before. Revelation is about seeing what you could not see before. Here in the book of Revelation, you have a persecuted people. Domitian was the uh, Caesar at the time, the leader, the dictator of the community. And he was killing Christians because they said Christ is Lord and not Caesar as Lord. And so he was pulling them apart with horses, having them fed to the lions, having uh, drills drilling down in their heads. And this was a persecuted people. And so Jesus gave John a revelation of himself. And so primarily this book is about Jesus revealing himself in a way that people could not see him. Once you get towards the end of this book, we will see that he is an everlasting king. That there is no more democracy, but there is a theocracy, a God-ruled government where we don't have someone who's elected because he was crucified. And we look to him for all our decisions. But in the beginning of this book, we see Jesus revealing himself to the church to give them hope because they are being persecuted. But secondly, we see that, that Jesus is revealing the church to itself. Because there in the area of Asia, what is now present-day Turkey, there were seven churches. And these seven churches, John would have a vision about and write a letter to. And they all had their particular issues that they had to deal with. And what was happening is, here you have the culture in those communities, and the culture's issues would seep into the church. And it would seep into all of God's communities, whether it was in the Old Testament or the New Testament. And God would always send a word so that the people would repent of how they were leaning into the culture more than to the Lord. And so if you look in the Old Testament, there were always Old Testament prophets who would look into what the people were doing, and call them to repentance. If you look into the New Testament, we have our uh, preachers. We have the apostles who would speak into the church and call them to repentance. Because the church, though we are called to bless the culture, and though we are called to win the culture and be an influence in the culture, the church is in a competition with the culture for the affection of the saints. The affection and the attention of the saints. And really what it comes down to is 
When you make your decisions, what gets priority? The culture or our Christ? When you think about the way that we communicate with one another, what gets priority? The culture or our Christ? And we are going to dig deep down because this particular community, Laodicea, they were so saturated in the culture that they could no longer see themselves for who they are. So Jesus sends a word to this church exposing who they really are because they were a heralded community, because they were so rich. They had so much money that everyone said they were the top. They were the best church. And Jesus is essentially going to say, you guys are the bottom of the barrel. If you have your Bible, look in the book of Revelation. Again, Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 15 and on down to 22. <laughs> he says in verse uh, 15, I, I know your works, that you are neither uh, cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Anybody heard this verse before? Yeah, yeah this, is, this is some fire and brimstone, boy. I, I might need a, a towel to wipe the sweat off my brow. No, really, what this is, right, is the way that you've probably heard this preached is God is looking for some hot people, some hot saints. Any hot saints in the building? All these cold Christians out here, right? And God, and God doesn't want you to be cold. He wants you to be hot. And so, so if we were to interpret that, if we were to interpret that, basically what we, what we classically hear that interpreted as is, you need to live for the Lord or live for the world. And, and what, what it's interpreted as is Jesus is saying, don't live for me or live for me, right? Cold or hot. Um, let me encourage you. This text is one of the classic texts that you will need some kind of historical context to understand. Because if you don't understand the historical context, you will misinterpret the text. You will take it and apply it in a way that it wasn't intended. So here is the, the essence of this verse. In, in Laodicea, they had a water problem. So notice, Jesus is saying everything that they were already going to, they already know about. They have a water problem. They had volcanoes there. And the hot lava from the volcanoes would go into the water, making it a stench. And so they would not use their water for cleaning, and they would not use their water for drinking. And so for the most part, when someone would drink the water, they would either want it hot because the hot water was generally used for medicinal purposes, but the cold water was used for drinking. And so they would, because they were a rich community, they would have hot water piped in from a community called Herpolis. And that was about four miles away. And then there was another uh, community called Col uh, Colossae. 
and Colossae had cold springs. So if they wanted cold water, they would have it piped in. And if they wanted hot water, they would have it piped in. And understand, this is, an, this is a Roman community that generally didn't have pipes. So they were, just by the fact that they had pipes, showed that they were a church and a community that had resources. But there was a problem. Because the piping had been there so long, some lime started to get into the pipes. And so the water would now go slower through the pipes. When the hot water would end up in Laodicea, it was warm. When the cold water would come all the way from Colossae to Laodicea, it was warm. So at the end of the day, all the water that they wanted in Laodicea was warm water. And the water was useless. And so what's happening here in the text is Jesus is giving a picture of wanting, he's actually saying, I want a cold glass of water, but when I go to take a drink, it's lukewarm and it's nasty. And the word here doesn't just say that I spit you out. He says, I vomit you out. What Jesus is getting at is he's not encouraging Christians to live for the world. He's saying that I want you to be like a cold glass of water refreshing for people. I want you to be like a hot glass of water. You could be useful. I want you to be useful. He's not saying I want you in the world. He's saying I want to use you. And if you really break this down, he's saying, and the lack of utility, the fact that you are not using your life for any value or substance or glory is making me sick. And so what, he's, what, what Jesus is trying to give an image, and this is the wild part. Everybody in Laodicea would have known what that meant because they know their water is bad. Because let me just tell you this. You, I know that you, some, not everybody's a big Bible reader, and I know you're not, not going to be, you might not be a scholar, but let me just help you understand one thing. God is going to do whatever he needs to do to get a word in your life. If he, if he was able to have astrologers in, in, in the New Testament to be able to worship him by moving stars, he was able to send prophets. He's able to send revelation. So God is going to send someone to speak into your life. And more importantly, he will send the word of God for you. The word is for you. And, that, and hopefully that's why you came today to hear a word for you and not for anybody else, praise the Lord. And so he's saying, I want you to be useful. That's the essence of this. And so he says in verse 16, because you are lukewarm, you're not hot you're not cold. No one desires lukewarm water. Water has an intention. And what he is saying for you, Christian, I have created you for a clear purpose. And the essence of lukewarm living is what we call being, is essentially what we call living for the world or what they would call a worldly Christian. Now, worldliness uh, generally gets touted as smoking, drinking, and dancing, and so as long as you don't milly rock on any block, <laughs> you are living for the Lord, right? And the essence of, the essence of worldliness is then 
about outward things. But understand what the, when, when the Bible talks about worldliness. Well, the, the first thing that you have to understand is that the word world is the word cosmos. Cosmos is where we get cosmopolitan or cosmetic. And so oftentimes when a woman is having makeup, she's saying, I'm putting on a face. And that's precisely what the world wants you to do. It wants you to put on a face. It wants to order you in a certain way and do things with a certain logic and reasoning. But the essence of worldliness is the exclusion of God. It's not about drinking or dancing or smoking or any of those things. It is about the exclusion of Jesus in our everyday life. But more importantly, it is the exclusion of Jesus from our decisions. The way, we, the way not only we live our life, yes, that is important, that who we are on the, uh, outwardly, but when you sit at your kitchen table, when you get with your friends, when you take in information, when you make a decision on how you're going to move, where you're going to go, and what you're going to say, do you consider what Jesus says about said thing? Is consulting the word of God and the people of God a priority for the way you live your life? And, and, the, re, and the, then the, the muddy mixture here is being a worldly Christian means that you do a lot of Christian things, but you just don't want Jesus. So, so understand this. It would be like uh, when, if I were to ask my wife again to marry me and I would give her a ring. If, if she wants the ring more than me, then that means that she wants the things that I offer, but just she doesn't want me as the individual. And oftentimes people want Christian things. They want to pray. They want to read. They, they want all these Christian things. But there's a good chance you don't want Jesus. And have Jesus not just as someone who you look to to help you in times of need, but someone who is your Lord. That's what lordship is about. That you are the one that I look to for my small and big decisions. In times that are weak and when things are not looking good and when things are great, I give you glory in all that. Because I look to you for all things. And so Jesus gives us this imagery of you could kind of live in the middle there. And so that's why in the book of James, James chapter 4 verse 4. It says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Later, Jesus would say that you can't serve two masters. And the essence of it is that God has made you to influence the world, but not have the world influence you. That he would send you into a job and you would bring him glory on that job. That he would send you into a relationship and that relationship wouldn't actually define you. But Jesus would define the relationship. And so then Jesus then becomes the dictionary of how you see life. And he defines things for you. And so you don't just look to Jesus to help you get things. You look to Jesus to define things for you. You look to the word to define your life. 
It is not a helpful guide when you're hurting. It is a guide for all your life so that you would trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You would acknowledge him in all your ways and he would make your path straight. And this becomes very difficult in a city like New York because we want to be big, we want to do big things. And sometimes we want, it, we want big things and Jesus' help. We want marriage and we want Jesus' help. We want our brand to be seen around the world and we want Jesus' help. And what Jesus is saying is that I've, God has made you to live and be a certain way. And the essence of your life, to not waste your life, would to be having Jesus as priority number one. And not letting the world define you in any way. And so he, Jesus lays forth this rebuke. And these letters will be read in the community. And when he says, I want to vomit you out your mouth, he is in no way saying, I don't want to be in relationship with you. He's just saying, I am frustrated with you. Later on, he would say, whom I love, I rebuke. And so Jesus is saying, I'm tired of you doing, of living a life where I am secondary. I'm tired of that. I did not make, I did not, I did not create you, nor did I have our relationship to be a side piece. I want to be priority number one. And worldly living makes Jesus a side piece. So what he says here, he goes on in verse 17. Verse 17. For you say, I'm rich. I've become wealthy. I need nothing. Now, we'll talk later about how they made their money, but they were a rich community. And you don't realize, <laughs> these are some hard words. I wonder what it looked like on that Sunday. You, you, because he's really, in Greek, he's saying y'all. I don't think I've ever talked to anybody like this. Y'all are wretched, pitiful, look at these words, poor, blind, and naked. Now, look at the, the contrast. This is what he's saying. You all say to yourself, look at all this money we've made. Look, we got piping systems. They, got, they made their money off clothing as well. We have these great clothes. And you all look around at each other as you walk into your community with your clothes and with your look. And he's saying that you all are actually looking at one another, bigging each other's up, giving each other a high five, saying, look at how rich we are. He says, but that's not how I see you. When I look at you, not only are you poor, he says you are wretched. And the word wretched there would be like someone who had boils all over their body. And when you see them, it was obvious that they were sickly. And when it talks about being pitiful, it says it's like someone who has a character issue and you don't want to be around them. But not only that, could you imagine a person like this? They're wretched and they're pitiful. But he says you're blind and you can't see. He, he says that you are poor and you are naked. And if you saw anyone like this, I don't care how spiritual you are, you would not move close to them. You would move away from them. And he says, you all like being around one another and you all think you are at the top. But how I see you actually defines you. 
And what we, what we learn here is who you are spiritually is actually who you are. You see, understand this. If you are rich in materialism, but you are poor in generosity, you're poor. If you have a great brand and you are blue check verified on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, but yet, yet you are verified, everybody knows your name, and when they hear about you, you're a big deal. But if you do not spend your life in good works for the Lord, you can be a big deal on earth, but have a small brand in heaven. He, he, he says, you have all these things that you're doing, and this is why Jesus says this. You've heard this verse before in verse Matthew 20, 16. The, the last will be first. The first will be last. The last will be first. The first will be last. The last people you are thinking about that have influence and have a big name and are special in heaven, they will be first. Because things, church, aren't what they seem. The people that stop and stare in the city, the people that are, are gawking at that one person because they have a platform, if they know the Lord Jesus and they've done nothing for his glory, though they have a big platform on earth, they will not have Great recognition in heaven. Now, let me just do a little theology just for a second here. We are not talking about heaven or hell. We are talking about a Christian who will go into heaven. And the Bible talks about, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. The Bible talks about how the Christian will be judged for their good works. Not, not to see whether they're going to heaven or hell. But when you live your life for Christ, Jesus actually evaluates your life and the works you did. And that's why when you hear, I want to hear well done, that's the imagery there of you going to heaven and Jesus saying, well done. You spent your life, your treasures, your mind, your attitude for my glory. Or you could enter it through the, the streets of gold and God could say, you wasted your life. You wasted your time, your talent, and your treasure for the fame of men. What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world? And yet he forfeits his soul. And you are tempted in this city to gain the whole world. I've said this before. As a pastor, you know, we, we started this church from scratch. And I remember that first year, we, we were laughing in the back because we were saying, you know, let's make sure we have enough chairs. And I stopped and I was talking to Dennis. I was like, Dennis, remember when we used to take chairs out? Because we used to like manipulate the room, praise God. We, you know, because when people walk in, you know, it's like a party. Like if you don't see anybody at the party, you're like, oh, I'm going to go somewhere else. You know what I mean? So we, we used to manipulate the room. You know what I mean? We used, to, we used to put 70 chairs, and we'd, like, angle it. I'd be like, no, 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 yes, yes, that's it. And we'd, we'd do all that, you know. So when we first started out, I would see my friends in other cities, and I would look on their websites, and I'd be like, dang, they killing it. It's cold. You call me to New York, not Miami. And I would be here. And let me just, uh, hopefully this lands right in what I want to say. 
I could not look at their websites because looking at their websites was almost like porn for me. When I looked at their life, I felt such misery. I, I, I compared myself so much because I wanted their fame. And so looking at what they did was as corrupted as looking at porn. Because when you look at porn, you don't actually, see, I'm married, so I don't value the wife that God has given me. So I'm looking at all these scantily clad women, and yet God has given me something. And when I would look at all what people were doing in Ohio and what people were doing in Atlanta and what people were doing in Miami, I didn't look at what God had given me. And so I had to just say, I can't go on Instagram and look at what they have. I can't go on that website because I will look around and I will just be like what Adam and Eve did where God says, I'll give you this tree. This tree is bomb. This tree has got, you know, it's, it's, got, it's, it's got life and you, you eat it and it's good. And they're like, but what about all these other trees? You know what I'm saying? It's like, this is a bomb forest. You know what I'm saying? And, God, and God's like, no, no, no. One tree you can't have. You can have all these other things. And what I find myself doing is falling into this comparison trap. And so the first will be last. The first will be last. Be very careful who you admire. Be very careful who you admire. Be very careful about platforms. This is going to blow your mind. This is for mine. Listen, listen to what I'm about to tell you. There are people who are very well known, very well known. They have huge platforms. I know people. I know people now. <laughs> and their platform is much bigger than their character. And it's blessed how God is using them, and it's great. But God is not pleased with the things that people don't see. God is not pleased with the things that people don't see. I'm telling you. People that, people that, you have, you, have you, you know, what's such and such? And everybody's like, yo, they're amazing. And there are people I know that I'm like, no, they're not. They're not even nice people. And what I'm trying to tell you is don't get tricked into believing earthly platforms always extend into heaven. What matters most is how God sees you. The platform to aim for every time. The audience to aim for every time is an audience of one. Jesus. Jesus. And every time the culture seeps into your decisions and the way you see yourself, you start living for the world. You may, you, may, you may not be having sex. You may not be smoking. You may never go to a club in your life. But you can do all those things and be as just worldly as a wretch. Because Jesus is not involved in the way you make your decisions. So be encouraged. So here we go. Um, so... So, 
So Jesus makes a recommendation to them. He says, I advise you. The word is I counsel you. I want you to listen to me. Listen to me. Don't listen to your friend. Listen to what I have to tell you. He says, I advise you buy, uh, to buy from the gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. Understand, these people are wealthy, but he's talking about being rich in good works and that when they get into heaven, their works would be like precious gold. He's saying, be work for me. Be employed by me. Do your work for my glory so that when you are in eternity, I will celebrate your work. And so he says this. He says, you may be rich. He says, white clothes that you may be dressed and your, and your shameful nakedness not be exposed. And ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may be see. You, you, that you may see. Um, and he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. And so one, one of the things you don't see in the text is that this community was rich because they had black sheep. And they would take those black sheep and make wool. And they would make fine clothes. And so what's crazy is almost like New York, everybody walked around in black clothes. <laughs> and they were known for wearing black clothes. And it was this exclusive thing where they were wearing black clothes. And they'd come to church and they black clothes. And they'd be like, look, look. In their black clothes. And to have black clothes was the highest ideal. And to have black, all black on, you were seen as being rich. And he says, trade in your black attire for the white robes of righteousness. Wow. Revelation 19, it says, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, to wear bright and pure. The linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. So it's an imagery of Revelation 19 saying when we are in heaven, we will have just like the bride who wears white, showing off the righteousness she has, hopefully, praise God, but the righteousness that she has. Look, it's this imagery of being pure. And he is saying, trade in those black clothes for the pure righteousness of Christ, for living for him. And so he says in verse 20, See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Verse 20 is a verse that we often hear, and it is true, that it talks about Jesus standing at the door of your heart and knocking. <clears throat> knocking. But if you, if you read that verse, he says, see? You see what I'm doing? He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, have a meal with him. So the first thing you have to see in that text is he says, I stand at the door and knock. And he says, if anyone hears my voice. He didn't say, if anyone hears my knock. He says, if anyone hears my voice. And here, you know, when someone knocks on your door, it interrupts what you were just doing. You have that friend that bangs like the police. And once they know you have their attention, they say, hey, I'm outside. Jesus is not wondering, do you hear the knock? 
Jesus knows he's interrupting some of your success. Jesus knows he's interrupting some of your daily activity. Jesus knows that he may be frustrating the way that you do things in your life. He presumes you hear the knock. And for some of you, maybe the reason why some of those relationships or some of those jobs, some of those plans that you've had, maybe it's not that you're not that organized. Maybe Jesus is knocking, wanting to get your attention, wanting to get your focus. He thinks you hear the knock. He thinks you can hear the interruption. But then he says, not only am I knocking, but I'm, I'm, I'm yelling your name. You see, the Bible says, my sheep hear my voice, and I'm bellowing out your name. And do you hear my voice? Behind that knock and behind that interruption is a voice. And it's crying out to you. Make me priority number one. Make me your highest affection. Don't go every day without acknowledging me. Hey, hey, I'm knocking. Do you hear my voice? And you say, well, isn't he writing to Christians? Yes. In fact, the imagery here is of a church that's gathered. And what they're showing is a church that's gathered on a Sunday. And it's like Jesus is at the door of his own church. Can I come in? I mean, could you imagine that? It'd be a horrible birthday party, right? You throw a birthday party and you, you decide whether you're going to do the Stevie Wonder happy birthday or the regular happy birthday. And you get all the cake. You have all the invitation, tons of people there. And then while singing happy birthday... You hear a knock on the door. And the one person not at the party is the special guest. The very person they were holding a party for. And what he says is, I know you're a church. And I know you have a, a big name. But you haven't invited me in. And Jesus, he says, when I come in, I want to sit at the dinner table and I want to have a conversation with you. And at that time, the dinner table was the most intimate setting for conversation. Jesus is knocking. Some of you tonight, some of you tonight, if you were honest, there are a lot of things that are informing your decisions. And Jesus is in is, and is on the list. I wonder if tonight, as we get ready to worship, that you would surrender the way you make your plans. That you would invite Jesus in. Whether it is your finances, your relationships, or your future. That you would invite Jesus in. And you would let go not be stingy, but say, take it, take it, take my, all my resources, take my life even, and use it for your glory. I want to be what you intended me to be. Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you, Jesus, for the very nature of your son who was sent into this world. And in coming to this world, God, he was a change agent, born into Nazareth. He walked amongst the community. And it was God with us. And you dwelt amongst us. And you put on display what it looks like when a person gives their all to love people and to love God. And God, now we look to your word, we look to your ways to establish how we are to move in this world. And God, help us to be careful who we allow to mentor us. Help us to be careful of how we are advised. Help us to be careful of how we make our moves. Because how shocking would it be if we get there on that day with our name and our fame celebrated in this world and then only to meet Jesus and to see we were poor in good works and we were poor in love let us be rich in good works God let us be rich in love let us be rich in the goodness of Jesus and once they get beyond my brand once they get beyond my name once they get beyond my platform they say, what do you say about that person? Above all things, God, I pray they knew I loved you. God, let, God, don't let my platform be bigger than your glory, God. Don't let my platform be bigger than your glory, God. Don't let my name transcend your name, God. Take everything I have and build your name off my life. You be my brand. I wonder if we would surrender, surrender tonight and lay down our platforms.